When I listen to this soundbite with my guest, Michael Bork, and he is an amazing guest filled with so many amazing insights, he reminded me of what it means to be a leader. Leading is not just telling people which way to go and navigating the ship, but it is also asking hard questions. It is asking people to reflect discover what makes them great, ask them questions about what their challenges are. It is not for us to really direct people what to do, but to help people discover what they are destined to do. And I am grateful recently. I had an opportunity. Somebody reached out to me and wanted to just network with me and understand what are they missing? (laughs) And after they shared with me how much they loved pouring themselves into the business and fixing major issues, and they loved pouring themselves into future leaders and helping them to reach their greatest potential. And then when we talked about what is it that they wanted to do, they said, well, I know what I want to do, but not sure how to get there. And so then I asked a tough question. I said, how is it that you are able to pour so much into a business and so much into others, but you are unable to pour that same energy into yourself? And I caught them off guard. And I'm not sure I offended them in any way. I took a courageous position to ask them a very hard question because ultimately we as leaders have to get people to think and find out what they're really good at, think about what they are passionate about and help them go in the direction that they're meant to go. So I'm happy to have shared that story with you. I am touched by the people that reach out to me and say, Deb, do you got a minute? I am here for you if you've got a minute. But now I want to share this conversation with Michael Burke. So full of insights, you're going to so enjoy it. Let's listen. So another thing I think is important about being a leader is being a courageous leader. And being a courageous leader is showing who you really are inside as a person. Leaders need to expose themselves. A courageous leader is someone who knows how to nurture, grow, and attract top talent. It doesn't necessarily tell them what to do all the time. You can unpack that, but it really means being courageous and doing the brave thing, working with people, talking with people, convincing people actually to make mistakes. It's all about getting them to a place where they can be creative, where it's okay to suggest an idea. Your ideas count. Something we did in agile software development is we did retrospectives where we asked what went well, what didn't go so well, and let's improve that every time. I think listening is really important. Welcome to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Coviello, and as the drop-in CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to enhance the human element and increase the results they achieve. This podcast is about bringing you conversations with expert guests who have achieved their greatest results built on a strong foundation of purpose, values, and elevating people. If you're a business leader, entrepreneur, or even just getting started in business, join us as we build the skills you need to achieve your goals. Hello, I am Deb Coviello, founder of the Drop-In CEO brand, and I want to thank you for joining me on another episode of the podcast where week after week, I speak to amazing leaders who share their insights with me as well as you. And I am so excited for this interview today that I have with Mike Borg. It is going to inspire you because of his journey, but just know on a personal note, he and I are both on a journey to help C-suite leaders of today and tomorrow navigate their challenges with confidence. And so my guest, Michael Burke, 
is the director of digital manufacturing at Boston Engineering. And as an inventor from Boston with more than 36 years of manufacturing experience, he's on a mission to bring bold ideas to market. He has a vast background from industrial design through manufacturing and automation and has a keen eye for quality design and user experience by engaging them at every step in the process. And honestly, he has this amazing mission, and you're going to hear it through and through the conversation, is to help companies design and transform how their products are made with modern, thoughtful manufacturing technology. And lastly, he is a curious person, and he is a steward of great people and culture because they believe that that is the heart of every business and what makes things run. So Michael, it is my distinct pleasure to welcome you onto the show. Yes, it's very nice to be here, Deb. Thank you for inviting me. When I first heard about your show, what you're doing, I was inspired and I had to be a part of it and look at us now where we're talking. So if anything, look, you can do it too. And I hope to inspire. That's what I'm all about. I'm very curious about your show and you. We had our conversation and we got into all sorts of things. But sure, I'd love to share a little bit about my background and, and why it is, I think, the way that I do. So for my listeners, before he shares an amazing story, I found him. I found him. I was looking for people that were leaders who were C-suite leaders who have struggled, have had great journeys. And it's more about giving back to you, the audience. When I asked him things about what worked well in his career, as well as what some of the challenges, it was an inspiring story. And I said, you know what? I can't tell this myself via my own social media post. I said, he has to come on the Drop-In CEO podcast to share his story himself. So take it away. Share a bit about yourself personally, as well as the journey you've been on to do the purpose of work that you're doing now. Yes, thank you very much. To go back in time, could all start back in a moment when I was 14 years old and I got my first job in a bicycle shop. I paid $2 an hour to sweep the floor. I learned everything about selling bicycles. I cleaned the boss's car. She was a chain smoker, but I loved it. And I got paid $2 an hour and I learned everything I could about selling bicycles, taking care of bicycles. And I'll bring that back into the end of the story in a little bit. But I didn't go to college. My parents couldn't afford college. My dad used to joke with me. He wanted me to pay attention. He couldn't pay for college. So I went to a trade school. And I remember at the time, I really wanted to be an electrical engineer. I was already making circuits at home and I couldn't wait to get to trade school. The thought of going to trade school instead of regular high school was very appealing to me. I was good with my hands. When I got to trade school, I got into a shop I'd never heard of before called Machine Shop. And I saw this kid no older than me cutting a part on a lathe. Another kid was making a gear on a milling machine. And I thought, oh my God, this is what I want to do with my life. So I gave up electronics and I became a very good machinist. I learned how to operate very dangerous equipment. I learned how to be mentored by an older person. When I became a junior, something happened. I got introduced to a machine called a CNC machine. If you don't know what that is, that's a machine tool that operates automatically. It's run by a program that you can write. And when I saw this, again, oh my God, this is what I want to do. So I really studied that. And I got really interested in CNC machining and, and automation. When I got out of trade school, I had to work in sweatshops. I had to work in places I had to raise my hand to go to the bathroom. And it was terrible working conditions. And I said, geez, I got to get a better job. I asked my shop teacher if he could put a good word in for me at a place that he worked called MIT Lincoln Laboratory. And if you don't know what MIT Lincoln Laboratory, it's actually a research facility here in Boston area. It's funded by the government, does top secret work. And I got a job there and I did all kinds of fancy stuff. 
And because I was young and I was smart with computers, I was outwitting everybody with my abilities to program these machine tools. Because around this time, I started eating lunch with all the people who wear the pocket protectors. And I asked one of them, his name was Tony, if he'd show me how he programs these machines. He said, you really want to learn that? And I said, yeah. And before you know it, at night, we're typing on the computer and he's showing me and I'm soaking it up. And I learned everything I could about my practice, not only being a machinist or a CNC operator, but actually how to run and program these systems. And actually, wouldn't you know, Tony got sick and he needed to go out on a surgery. And guess who they asked to do his job? They asked me, a little machinist with greasy hair and steel toe boots, but I was up with everyone else. And I even got a pocket protector. And when Tony came back, they looked at me and they said, you know, this is probably a better place for you. So I shifted my career from blue collar to white collar. I went from wearing steel toe boots to wearing shiny shoes. And I got a pocket protector and I loved it. And I worked at MIT for about 13 years. And at one point in my career at MIT is I started eating lunch with other people. I lunch with the director of the laboratory. And I said, look, this is MIT. We should have the latest equipment, the high-tech equipment. This is where all this started years ago. And I pointed out all these things and eventually it gave me millions of dollars of budget. And I went out and upgraded all the equipment at this laboratory. And I looked at all the systems, the CAD systems. They were still using drafting boards back then, drawing on old drafting boards with T-squares. I've used those too. <laughs> really smart people, but they'd never done it in 3D with a mouse. And so I got the best software I could. I installed it and I taught everybody in the lab how to use it. I got everybody on board. I taught someone how to go from a pencil to a mouse, how to think in 3D. And I really love that. So even though I didn't go to MIT, I feel in some ways I grew up there. I got a chance to do whatever I want and I just followed my heart. And I eventually got a phone call from this company who makes this software that I had chosen for the laboratory, a product called ProEngineer. It's made by a company named PTC. And the guy on the phone said, look, sir, your name is on the top of the list here. I got to ask you, I said, what's the problem? He said, well, uh, you, sir, have filed more bugs than any customer in the history of the company. He said, why is that? Well, how are you using the software, sir? And I told him how I was using the software and what I was using it for. And he invited me to come to PTC and give them a presentation on how the software could be improved. And I did that. And two weeks later, they were offering me a job. And I'd been at MIT now for 13 years. And I decided, you know, I think this is time to move. So I switched from the aerospace engineering, top secret class engineering work, on making things, to now running a software division. And one of my first jobs was in quality assurance. And I thought it was a joke at first, but someone said to me, okay, now, Michael, you can fix all those bugs that you filed. And there were thousands of them. <laughs> Eventually, I started eating lunch with more people, and I convinced a few people in the company that we could improve the user interface of the software. And that became a project that became very near and dear to my heart. It became a three-year journey to rebuild the user interface for this very sophisticated modern software product that I was an expert in but it just had a very punishing user interface. So I came to PTC with the vision to make it better. And I, re I realized something. When I was in QA, most of the developers at the company didn't realize how cool their software was. Mm -hmm. They didn't realize how important it was some bugs were that were being filed. So I bought a machine tool and I taught them all how to run the machine tool and I actually taught them how to use their own software. I know that sounds so silly, but they loved it. It was great. It was awesome. It built so much empathy and people realize why their jobs are so important when they can see how our stuff gets made. Bought a machine tool. We taught all the developers how to do this. But then I also realized I was in the wrong place because QA is, is sort of the last stop on the train in a software company. If you really want to influence the product, you need to start at the beginning. 
that's where the design is. So I changed my career at PTC and I became sort of a manager of a new team and we were going to build a new interface for the software. We did that. It was a three-year-long project. There was at one point in this three-year-long project that someone high up in the company decided that the project should be canceled. And I remember getting everybody together in a room and telling them this 17-person global team, guess what? The project's canceled. Some people cried. That's how much they were working on this project. And someone's idea was, can we get two weeks extension? So we got a two-week extension and we made a prototype, a 20-minute mock-up of what we were trying to build. And we brought that to the CEO of the company. We showed it to him and he realized, oh, wow, this is a great product. This is a great idea. Yes, we need to finish this. And everything came after that. And it was a very, very successful launch. So I, want, I tell you that story to mean that I really think it's important that you prototype your products. You can work three years on something and believe it or not, you, some people still don't know what you're building. So I think building prototypes and showing prototypes to high level people is really important. And I think it really saved the company in some regards. If we had canceled that project, I can think of so many things would have not gone right for the company. I mean, there's so much more than just making the product itself. It's bringing everybody along, even the key decision makers. So keeping them informed, understanding what the impact is, and just kind of give them a little bit here and there. So by the time you get to the finish line, it shouldn't be a big mystery. That's right. And again, in my career, it was a great time. And I started thinking, okay, now that we've launched that product, it was a huge success. We didn't add any new functionality to the product. We just changed the interface. People thought that we added the new functionality, but we didn't. We just made it easier to use, more fun to use. But I realized something because I'm a user. I always think about the user. I thought this interface that we built is so good, but it's actually going to hurt a lot of people because they learned the old way. They had this muscle memory that they've learned how to use this product. It really was a punishing user interface. So if you got good at it, and someone changed it on you, got really upset. So I started building a product and a team at the company to build web training for this product. That eventually became my next step in my career. At PTC, I was promoted to a vice president, and I built a division called PTC University. And I helped the company grow in ways that we'd never expected. One of the things I think I mentioned to you during the time we chatted, during my quest to build a better learning experience for this product, to help those people who need to learn how to use this very sophisticated piece of software, I realized that I needed to do more innovation. So I went out and got a 30-foot sign, and I wrote on it, Innovation Lab, and I put it over a gigantic room, and I put three of my best developers in that room, and I told them to experiment. They're allowed to break rules. I gave them all kinds of ideas to work on, and if they came up with something that was feasible, we'd take it out, we'd build a product out of it. They found three major innovations for the company we brought $90 million of business reoccurring revenue just in these products that these guys brought to market. And Deb, it actually caused an interesting problem for me because everybody wanted to be in that room. So I had a rotation round. At PTC, I was very fortunate. I really felt like when I was given the opportunity to be trusted and I brought back an interesting idea and I developed it and brought it to market, my supervisors, my managers started bringing more budget to me. And I went out and built more products. So I'm a big believer in innovation inside the company. I was this person in the company that wanted to build a team where we found our own ideas. You know, we weren't outsourcing our ideas. So we actually started to play Shark Tank in the company to find ideas that were worth building. And it was very successful. Anyway, to get to a long story short, at PTC, I was there 14 years. I left as a vice president. 
I left to go build my own startup company, and I did. I actually had to buy that software that I helped build. I didn't install it. I got a 3D printer, and I started making prototypes of my product, and I leveraged my network, Deb. I called everybody that I'd ever worked with in my career, and I said, you know what? If I ever start a company, I'm going to call you. And I called them and I got them to quit their career and come along with me in this journey. And in three and a half years, we raised seven and a half million dollars, brought a product to market. I did all the engineering. I was every C-level position there is. I was the CEO until I found someone. I was the CTO until I found someone. I was the CFO until I found someone. The COO, every C-level position uh, until I really put someone that knew what they were doing. I really value the role of a CEO, a business person. I didn't go to business college. I'm an ideas guy. I'm the inventor. When you've got a, someone who really knows and understands how to operate a business and do it well, wow, magic can happen. You add someone else to the mix, like a business developer, then you've got a dynamic duo or a three amigos. Right. So I was very fortunate in this company to have all those. We had at 1.17 people working for us. I brought the product to market. I flew to China to teach some of the companies how to make this product because I was so intently on the engineering of it. The design of it was extremely important. The consumers that we were addressing with the product was really important. So then I worked there for three and a half years. I exited, made a small fortune, got a little bored, wanted to get back into the industry. And again, 3D printing blew my mind. And I decided to go get a job at Stratasys. Stratasys invented the 3D printing about 32, 33 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I drove uh, innovative teams there to build products, software products, as well as hardware products around additive manufacturing. I was there for three and a half years, and I decided that was enough, and I wanted to be a consultant, and that's now where I work today as a consultant for Boston Engineering, doing what I love, which is advising companies how to build products differently, how to even do things like reshoring, how to bring operations from overseas to their own land using additive manufacturing technologies, using design. And so I'm an advocate for that technology, but I'm also an advocate for teaching people how to take their ideas forward. I have the great fortune of helping a few people with their inventions, and I help them get unstuck because sometimes they don't know the next thing to do. So I'm really good at taking and listening to ideas and helping people and guiding them. That's what I like about your show. You get the conversation going. I thought this would be an interesting one to hear. At least you thought so. I have a very unusual background. I'm very curious. I'm always thinking and designing something. You mentioned a minute ago about my LinkedIn. I'd like to engage with people and have a conversation. It's really important to me to have those conversations with people. So, Michael, thank you so much. There is so much inspiration in the story that you told. It is vast. It took turns. And one of the things that you just said, and this is why I brought you to this program, was our wanting to unstuck people, help them get out of whatever the rut is. This whole program is about inspiring people or giving them actionable tips that they can move themselves forward in their career or in their business. You can leverage Michael's skills. You can leverage my skills. But if I could just recap a couple of things that I just thought were so, so important. Now, I tell this to some people, you share, you didn't go to college, you pursued your interest. I'm not against college. Sometimes a formal education can be invaluable, especially to those people that have pocket protectors. And we got to go there because I'm not sure everybody knows what a pocket protector is. It is dating both of us. But what I feel right now is the fact that all along the way, you were creative. You asked a lot of questions. You did more than what was asked. You surrounded yourself by very smart people. 
you learn from them and then you optimize and then they started following you. That's influence and that willingness to ask questions, put yourself out there, get a little creative, align yourself with the right people has propelled you forward. And I think there are so many important things in that. I think people don't spend enough time in investing in their network, leveraging the skills of other people. We don't have to be the smartest person in the room. We need more pocket protector people. But then from there, once we learn their craft, we can then lead them to great places, like you say, and ultimately your PTC University, creating an innovation hub. It's a great story, but I'm curious. I too am curious. You just seem to always move forward in your career. You say, despite not having college, being in some areas with really smart people, you always seem to move forward. What propelled you? You never seem to have like, oh, I can't do that. A mindset of, well, I've never done that before. You just continue to move forward. And I want you to tell us more about that because a lot of people will get stuck in their head. I can't check the box. I can't get that promotion. I'm not in the right environment. A lot of uns, uns, uns. You don't seem to have that. Tell me more about what kept moving forward. Plant a lot of seeds. I have lunch with people. I'll say, you know, I've got this idea and I could be six months out into the point where I really want to get this idea off the ground, but I'm planting seeds with people. I'm also learning to tell the story. At PTC, I was an innovator inside the company. I got so much done at lunch by talking to people because everybody eats lunch and there's no silos but they don't network. I can't tell you how many times I got things done that I felt were on the verge of favors. Maybe they're business favors, but we did some very courageous things that never could be done if it weren't for those healthy relationships. People had to trust me. I had to trust other people. I got people to understand, you know, we're in it for our customers. We should try to improve this. So one thing I did at PTC is I built this usability lab. If you don't know what that is, it's a room that you can invite a user to. You can sit them in front of the software and you have this camera like you're watching me now. Mm-hmm. And you can see what I'm, how I'm using the software, where I'm clicking. And there's another room that's far away where you, it has a control room where you can invite all the developers that have been developing this product to watch a user use their software. And pull their hair out or not. Well, I have no <laughs> more hair left, but uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it's very rewarding when a developer that's making a product sees someone using it and liking it, but also showing... It could be improved in some areas. So I can't tell you how many times where we've improved the product just by listening. A tip that I would give for you is in your listeners is to prototype. You can find people like me. There are people like me out there who will help you invent, design things, create models for things. You could do 3D printing. Today, you can prototype practically anything. If you have a good story, get out there and start tweaking it. Start talking about it. Find who your audience is. Tell your story. I'm helping a few inventors now with this. So you know what you get with Michael is more than just a really smart person that helps you design, but I would say also a mentor in what you do as well. But I've got a quick question for you going back a little bit in time when they were going to cancel the project and you had to tell your team that that was going to happen and you guys wound up getting, you negotiated two more weeks to get a prototype out there to create the awareness, the understanding and the value. Were you confident? (laughs) Or were you scared? What were you feeling at that moment knowing it was two weeks or it wasn't going to happen at all? It was the most thrilling time I ever had in my life. Really? Not scared? You know what? Everybody got emotional and we just said, damn, we got a good idea. We just need to show these people what we're building. And we slept in our offices. We worked 24 hours around the clock. We had people in Israel, people in the UK, 
24 hour, and we built a 500 page PowerPoint presentation where every click of the mouse was another piece of the user interface. Now, believe it or not, we had specifications that were probably a whole phone book thick. No one would ever read that. So I think once we showed that prototype, we knew it was going to be something. And we even put it to music. That's how exciting it was. It was so exciting. I wasn't the only one that worked on it. So I was thrilled. I keep my enthusiasm alive. I don't talk myself out of things. I believe instead of what will go wrong, think about what will go right. Mm. Spend your energy on that. So there was some times, I'll tell you, during the building this 500-page PowerPoint, there was a point at which we discovered something was wrong. Even we had realized that we had made a mistake. Someone's idea says, you know what, we'll just piece it together. And nobody noticed. I just think it was a great time. I'm still in contact with those people who were there at that time, and we all remember what it was like. You know, the greater outcome from what you achieved, yes, you were able to convince the C-suite leader that it was worthy of keeping the project alive, but either you created a tremendous sense of community or the community came together and produced amazing results. So there's so much in what you do, being a steward of the people and the culture and helping them be successful. So the project got approved or some version of it, right? (laughs) Oh, it got approved. All right. In fact, uh, the project was very difficult to do because imagine taking your product and replacing the user interface. It's Mm -hmm. like a skin surgery, getting every part replaced and it doesn't even look the same anymore. So it was a very tenuous project to work on, but getting the buy-in at this level at a very difficult time in the company, it was risky also, but everybody knew this was worth doing. It was the moonshot. It had a moonshot feeling. I can't see it going a different way. Had it not gone this way, maybe the energy enthusiasm would have been ever driven around it. So I I never look at things through a lens and say, this is exactly how it has to go. I know that there's going to be ups and downs. If there's not ups and downs, then something's wrong. You're not on a roller coaster. You're just going one direction. So I have used that story, this story I'm telling you today, in my own career later on to help me pursue other dreams. So if you've got stories like that in your past, build yourself up. During an interview, I was telling this story, and that really helped the person interviewing me understand what kind of a leader I am. So that's my advice to people is build your tribe, find ways to be innovative, and go out there and, and take a step. You know, what's beautiful about this, and I talk about that as well, is that when you're at a precipice, and sometimes people will not take that leap, You know, you have to think about, well, as you said, you know, what happens if you're actually successful? And sometimes we are hard on ourselves because, well, I've never done this. There's risk involved. I'm not sure of the outcome, but we forget to look at our past and all the past successes for which we didn't understand something. We didn't know what the solution is. We found ways through that and we were successful in the past. This is no different. And just changing the mindset of I might actually succeed versus I might fail can change the trajectory. And as you say, you got a group of people to move that project forward and get the approval. I want to take you back a little bit. You said something at the very beginning of this interview. I want to unpack a little bit. You started by saying you didn't go to college. You know, you had conversations with your parents, your father, and you decided to pursue skills. You were good with your hands through the trades. But you said your father said something, pay attention, (laughs) pay attention. What did he mean by that or how did you interpret that and how did it help you? Well, it has two meanings, doesn't it? Pay attention and how it means, you know, focus on something, mm-hmm. but it also can mean you can pay with your attention. Mm. So 
everything to me is worth my attention. There's a person who lives inside Michael's brain who gets paid by fun. Everything's fun to me. It's a game. If you think about it, we're all wired that way. And to me, having fun is working on wild, crazy ideas. And I've been just successful getting enough people to believe me. But I pursue my ideas. If you look through my LinkedIn and what people write about me, they actually will say, Michael is someone who actually pursues all of his interests. And I do. I'm also a musician. I'm an artist. I compose music. I write software code. I 3D print. I model. Computer modeling. I'm interested in a lot of different things. Very cool. And you are a prolific <laughs> content creator on LinkedIn. I couldn't pick which one I was going to bring in, but I wanted to bring in this one you wrote about five days ago. It was a post with a picture of you and your MIT employee badge. And you tell a story about you were starting to go bald back then and people <laughs> or somebody made fun of you, but you made light of it. I would love for you to tell our listeners a little bit about that story and the fun of it all. Another thing I think is important about being a leader is being a courageous leader. C could stand for something like courageous. And being a courageous leader is showing who you really are inside as a person. And mm -hmm. so I'm about to tell you something very personal that I experienced, but how I turned it around. And I was able to even share it on my LinkedIn. And now you're talking about it. So yes, I was losing my hair. I was working at MIT. And every time I would walk to the shop, I was already promoted at this point. Used to be a machinist, now I'm upstairs wearing a pocket protector, balding, have, starting a family. And I'd walk through the shop, and this guy, Tim, would always have a funny bald joke to tell. And they were a really good bald joke. I give him that now. But I didn't take it so seriously. I didn't laugh. And everybody else would laugh at it, and it hurt my feelings. This went on for years, and I worked at this secret laboratory with, with all these other people. And Tim and I got assigned to a very special secret room a clean room facility. We had to wear a special suit to work in this room. And we were there for three weeks. We had lunch together. We did everything together. And I'm just telling you, Deb, we formed a unique relationship. And we started listening to the same music. And I can tell you at one point, he gave me the greatest life advice I probably have ever gotten from this man. He said, you know, Michael, stop taking yourself so seriously. Learn to laugh at yourself. Next time those guys poke fun at you, laugh at them. Laugh back at them. It'll stop. And you know what? I did that. And he was right. I learned how to laugh at myself. I laughed back at them. It didn't become a problem. And he fixed me in an odd way. And we became pals. I don't know where he is, but he changed my, my life a bit because I was very serious at that time, so determined. But I wasn't enjoying my life all the time when people would poke fun at me. Now, someone could look at that and say Tim was a jerk. Maybe he was. But I choose to live a better life. That whole story that I share with you is a personal one, but I think leaders need to expose themselves. They really do. If you want to be a courageous leader, what I think a courageous leader is, I'll tell you right now, a courageous leader is someone who knows how to nurture, grow, and attract top talent. It doesn't necessarily tell them what to do all the time, but it really means being courageous and doing the brave thing, working with people, talking with people, convincing people actually to make mistakes. I remember this group of folks I had they were arguing in front of a whiteboard. They were two of my employees, and I was really concerned about it. I went over there, and I didn't interrupt, and I realized they were fighting over the best way to design something. And I got into the conversation, and they both turned to me, and they wanted my advice. I said, you go your way, you go your way, and see if something can come together. I gave them permission to go both ways, and that seemed to work for them, and those guys came up with something even better. So 
it's simple when you have very good people working for you and they take things so passionate that they would even argue in front of a whiteboard on the best way to design something. When you work with me, it's all about getting them to a place where they can be creative, where it's okay to suggest an idea. Your ideas count. Something we did in agile software development is we did retrospectives where we asked what went well, what didn't go so well, and let's improve that every time. I think listening is really important. So what I love about your story is it is so inspirational, and I am grateful to have found you and have our listeners listen to the can-do attitude, the courageous leadership, the curiosity, asking why, seeking the insights of others, networking with smart people. It's all part of the equation of achieving our career goals and struggling a little less. And I'm sure if people reach out to you, not only are they going to get a strong, technical, curious, innovative leader, but they're going to get a friend, they're going to get a mentor and help grow your confidence and your capability. And that's why I just wanted to bring you onto the show. Any last thoughts you want to share with both of our listeners? Because I, I want people to check out your social media, learn more about what you can do for them, but just also to be inspired. Any last thoughts you might have? Go out and do it and find people to work with. Right now, there are people out there like me that want to meet people like you and help you move your ideas forward. You've got a good idea. It's time to let it go and to work on it. You can do it today. We have YouTube back when Deb and I were in school. We had to go ask our parents to go to the library. Goodness gracious, you have everything on your phone now. So leverage that, but don't forget to have conversations with people. Meet people. Take a chance on people. Never say no. Have tenacity. Put it all out there. Be six months in advance. Be a futurist. And again, I guess maybe the last thing I could say, instead of thinking about what will go wrong, imagine what will go right. Work on that side. Don't focus on the other stuff. Focus on the right stuff and you'll be on your way. And contact me. You can find me on LinkedIn, Michael P. Bork, B-O-U-R-Q-U-E. You can find me on LinkedIn. I call myself an inventor because I did bring a product to market. I have an invention. I have a patent, but I am many things. And I do appreciate being part of your show, Deb. It's a delight to meet you. And I want to continue to watch your shows and maybe I can come back on and we can talk about some other stuff as well. But thank you so much for the opportunity. Michael, you have been amazing, inspiring, just in time mentoring for me as well as I go through a journey and try new things. So truly appreciate the networking, the relationship, the friendship, and I do wish you continued success. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. My new book, The CEO's Compass, will change the way you think about leadership, navigate rapid transformation, and elevate the leaders of tomorrow. If you're feeling off track, the CEO's Compass Assessment will guide you to peace of mind in days, not months. You can learn more about the CEO's Compass by visiting my website at dropinceo.com. Now go out and lead, inspire, and achieve your goals.